Attention to roll call. Welcome to the 265 Police Live Series. Brought to you by the New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. The mission of this podcast is to provide expert analysis of past and present law enforcement related events with a trained eye. Listen to the boots on the ground weigh in on the court of public opinion. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to 265 Police Live Series brought to you by New York's finest retired unfiltered podcast. Today, we're talking about hypocrisy that has been going on. Actually, there was an article that had surfaced prior to the actual nepotism that has been so egregious that everyone's been aware of. It's been the topic of conversation. At least I hope it's been a topic of conversation. So in our world, it has been. So there was an article that had serviced about forced overtime, nepotism, and the low morale that the cops are facing right now amongst the NYPD. And coincidentally, John and I had spoke in regards to this article. And then sure enough, two days after this particular podcast in conversation in regards to nepotism and other factors, where we felt that it was just scratching the surface in this particular article, they actually didn't go deep enough to unravel the pitfalls of the NYPD and that are contributing factors to the mass exodus within the police department. And here we have it, two days later, former commissioner, Shea, his son is now being transferred to the illustrious detective squad of the 2-3 precinct. Now, the detectives always they have that awesome logo known as the greatest detectives in the world, and there is honor to be a detective in the New York City Police Department. Now, when I was a lieutenant special assignment, lieutenant special operations at PSA 7, doing anti-crime, anti-crime sergeant at PSA 4, I've done some crime work in, in the 112 precinct. And during my tenure within the police department, what I've witnessed, I've witnessed my guys, they were involved in numerous mass arrests of firearms, arresting perpetrators, violent perpetrators, responsible for shootings perpetrators that have a propensity for violence, target offenders, repeat offenders. They've been involved in numerous shootings. We've actually, we've actually encountered persons of interest that we've garnered and we, we've encountered on the street and they've had priors for attempted murder, manslaughter, and here they are. We had to face them and get another illegal firearm off their hip. And these men and women that served under me, they worked so hard. I remember I had to write character letters and I had to speak on their behalf with nine and 10 years on the job and seven of them in special operations to get to the detective squad. And here we are now, former commissioner Dermot Shea, his son is now being transferred to the detective squad with less than one year on the street. So his total time on the job is roughly, I think a little bit less than 18 months. So that means six months out of his time has been in the police academy, learning about the fundamentals and the basics of law enforcement. And then, his actual time of being in the street is not even one year. Now, I, I, I'm not saying he's not a good officer. I don't know him. However, it takes a substantial amount of time to get observation skills, to get the trained eye that John and I talk about constantly with your boots on the ground that you accumulate over time to become what I always say from police officer to cop, to get that transition. Now, I think this is the most egregious nepotism. John and I are going to show you that we have a manifesto from the New York City Police Department that actually reflects 
that this is not uh, this this is not fit the criteria to apply for the Texas squad. So this is the biggest question I have been asking. But and so obviously this particular incident resonates with me. So I've been asking the question, and this is the question: Why hasn't some sixty-year-old male who's been a chief, an executive, a commissioner, who now stands to make twenty? $25,000 a month, substantial amount of money, where they have the opportunity to speak out about the pitfalls of the NYPD, the contributing factors, why CCRB is operating the way they are, why the police officers are in the position that they're at, why is morale down, why are these officers being forced all the time? Well, I've been wondering why. Well, here's why. Commissioner Shea and other executives as, as such, they have to lead a path, a deity, for their family members, for their sons, for their daughters. Well, you know what? I've said this on Twitter, and I mean it. I hope that our chiefs and executives have enough offspring out there to fill the ranks of the New York City Police Department. Because at some point, eventually, eventually, our New York City police officers are going to be tired of being punching bags, and they're not going to go out there and conduct police work in the manner that they should. And I can't blame them either, because how can this young man be transferred to the detective squad with less than 18 months on the job. First of all, I tell you this, Commissioner Shea, you're doing a disservice to your son. You're not helping your son. You're doing a disservice to him because he's missed the opportunity to learn the foundation of police work, doing uniform patrol. How is your son going to be respected by his counterparts and his peers in the detective squad? I don't see how that's possible. And I also read in the newspaper that he was vetted. That's funny. So during an interview process, which I'm sure that probably didn't even happen, you're telling me that some underlings are going to say this Commissioner Shea's son properly vetted for this position? This is by far the most egregious form of nepotism I have ever seen. This is abomination. This should be the pinnacle moment in history where the New York City police officers stand up and say, we are not going to go out there and hustle and work hard because it took me nine and ten years doing special operations and housing in the South Bronx, where some of these young men and women that served under me, fantastic police officers and cops, could not get to the detective squad. But Commissioner, Commissioner Shea's son is getting transferred to the detective squad with less than 18 months. Abomination. This is absolutely egregious. And I'm never going to let this down. This is the most shining example of nepotism that I think we've ever seen on the job. So, you know... The reason I posted it when we got the information, you know, and and basically it was a follow up on that article that Dim talked about. And I do believe that article is a piggyback off of this podcast. Dim got forced out of his career early. I got forced out of my career early. Uh, We both sat there and said, you know what? We're going to tell the truth. I'm just going to tell the truth. I love the job. I love New York City. I don't love the direction that the job has went in, and I don't love the direction the city's going in. So the only thing I could do to be a respectful person is to talk what I believe the truth, and Eric as well. Eric came on here. He's brave enough to to put his name out there, his record out there, um, and, you know, so – you know, at first we were getting a lot of praise and a lot of kudos, and we still are. We still are from a lot of people. So we got the information from a retired guy, and we got the information from a retired guy and said, hey, you, this is insane. So I posted it. I posted it online. I put out his record out there, and I said, this is nepotism. I hashtagged 
uh, the New York Post and Fox News and the city. I did. Because, um, again, I do believe that people are looking at my social media. Um, like I've said before, you guys are you guys are celebrities with the muscle, without the money. So anything that happens, you're going to be front page of the paper, uh, especially when you're the commissioner's son. Everything you do is public information. The job is currently dangling you in front of the camera, in front of Twitter every time you make a gun arrest. These are things that I think uh, impede your safety. They impede the safety of your family. They, you know, they basically, they're dangling you in front of a camera for all to see the whole world. Oh, look at this guy. He's pulling a ton of guns off the street as they're letting the people that you arrest walk out the back door and they're not saying anything. So, you know, you know, to, to commission a Shea son, it's, this is not a knock on you. And I, I truly, from the bottom of my heart, hope that you have a successful career. You go on and do the right things. But I think that this is wrong. The same way that if my kid was playing on a baseball team and he was a great pitcher and I seen him not getting chance to play and I seen the coach's son getting up on the starting mound, I would have a big problem with that. And I would say something not only to the coach, but to all the parents as well. And, you know, for, for anyone to sit there and tell me and Eric, who, who do we think we are? Do we think without we're police experts? Yes, 100%. If me and Eric are not police experts, there is no one in the face of this earth that is. I did 18 years. I was a very active cop. I was a very active sergeant. I know many facets of the administrative roles too, whether it be eternal affairs, facilities. Eric was a street cop the whole time. So, cop, sergeant, lieutenant, very active. And if, if you know, the, the, the amount of incidents that we've, played in, the amount of time that we've seen, uh, the amount of arrests we've been involved in. If if we're not police experts, there isn't anybody on there isn't anybody on the face of this earth. <laughs> so so uh, again, you know, I will continue and Eric will we will continue to weigh in on things that we feel are wrong. Um, if anyone has a problem with it, feel free. Come on this show if you want to, you know, continue to send threats continue to make comments without your photo from behind a fake Instagram name. That's fine too, but just know who you are. So nepotism, let's get on to that. Nepotism, it it was a shining example. So I posted it. It went viral. Half of you probably shared it. Half of you probably sent that to the news itself. So the daily news picked it up first and then every newspaper piggyback off of that. Um, the the post actually went as far as to grab my tweets and I, I got a ton of backlash. <laughs> I got a ton of backlash about that as well. I got a ton, ton of backlash about that. Um, and my tweet said, I posted the order, which is by the way, public information again, um, a rookie who happens to be Dermot Shea's son with a nine, seven Oh tax number, 1.5 years in the NYPD right. and assigned to the NYPD two, three precinct just gets assigned to the 2-3 hey, detective squad at, at NYPD News, at NYPD Police Commissioner. This is what nepotism looks like. No disrespect to this kid, but it's a failure in leadership. I also go on to state, and I am not knocking this kid. I hope he has a safe and successful career, but his father and the leadership of this department have failed him and the men and women of the NYPD. This lowers morale for all. 
I'm not saying not to hook your kid up. I'm just saying make it look good. So, again, I'm not, I'm not going to apologize for anything I say. I'll explain anything that I'm saying. And I'm 100% not apologizing for that tweet because, like I said, the same way if I saw one of you guys was an ace pitcher and we're putting some kid in, I don't care how talented he is. You're out there. You're winning World Series. And this kid's on vet and this because he's not vetted, you know, because because my, my whole thing is this. I, I know what kind of cop I was at nine months. I know what kind of cop Eric was at nine months. And and yes, you, you could see a bright future in Eric and you would have saw a bright future in me. And you could speak to my sergeants and my lieutenants at the time and the same thing for Eric. But by by no means was I ready to even run a sector car to even be the voice of reason to run a sector car. Never mind. Sit there and say, I'm going to run a case. It took me years, hundreds of incidents, if not thousands, to develop to become an officer that other officers on patrol could look at to go to a team like the anti-crime team, the community safety team, to become a field intelligence officer the way I was. Um, it, takes, it takes a ton of time to develop your eye and to develop your posture to develop your confidence. And, and, you know, I, and I think that, you know, Eric had spoke on this on the first time he came on the podcast on uh, about uh, your unconscious, your unconscious competence. And there is no way that you could develop that in a short amount of time, even if you threw it all into a short window of training. It just wasn't ready. Um, And, you know, I hear a lot of stuff about the number of arrests he had. He had 32 arrests. Uh, The majority of my arrests, I had 145 in my seven years as a police officer. That was about an average of two a month. That's what the department is saying. Well, he averaged two a month. And I, and I do think that's good, but that was average when I was a cop, two a month. Uh, however, my two were pickup arrests. My two were chasing patterns. Uh, they weren't really chasing the radio. I don't have many 911 radio runs. And I don't believe that someone that is taking arrest based off of the radio has shown the skill to become a detective. And I'm not saying that's the case, but I'm having a hard time believing I'm having a hard time believing that those 32 arrests were pickup arrests made from observations. And my other point on that is I really don't care if he had 100. I don't care if he had 100 in that short window. That He doesn't have the time and the skill and the ability to, to sit up there on a stand and testify. These are things developed over time to draw up over and over again with the district attorneys to really understand the little various intricacies of this work because it's a, it's a crazy dangerous job. And it's a it's a very stressful job. And there are I I know sergeants that don't know how to process vouchers. I know detectives that are weak in certain areas. So no one's going to sit there and tell me that we have an all around all star in nine months. It's just it's just it's just not it's just not plausible. It's just not going to happen. And I called it out because it's wrong. And and uh, and again. I'm going to we're going to keep doing it. Eric, what, what, what do you think? Do you do you think that first off, do you think it was wrong of me to post it? And, and do you think it was wrong of me to post it? And do you feel that there were more qualified people than, than if we had the ace of aces, we had LeBron James coming out at nine months, you feel there was still more qualified people. Do you feel people were passed over in the NYPD that should, that should have been sent to the squad? Well, first of all, I want to get something straight. Let the public know if, if John sends a tweet 
or if I send a tweet on behalf of New York Spines, which I know about the podcast, along with the 265 Police 5 Series, that if, John, you send out a tweet, or I do, I take responsibility. I, I take responsibility, even if it's not my tweet. So absolutely, I back you up on this. And we are never going to apologize for the stuff that we're saying, because otherwise, you're going to stop listening to us. We're giving you unsensitive information. We're giving the truth. So absolutely not. I have you back 100%. I think it was, I think you actually were completely respectful in it. Because I actually want to say that to uh, young Richard Shea, if I was him in, in, in your position, and I'm going to be honest with you, I would say, listen, Dad, I, I appreciate it that you want to help me out. But you're not helping me out. Let me make my own path. It's too early. I'm never going to get the respect from my peers. You'll never know if they respect you or they don't. They're always going to be put in a position that they have to help you because of who your daddy is. When you get to that detective squad, you're never going to know if they're actually your friends. They're probably going to butter up to you because of who your father is and what your connections are and how you can benefit them. But you're never going to know. That question's always going to be, are these guys really my friends? Do they really care about me? You're doing a disservice to yourself. You need to learn the, fa- the foundation, the fundamentals of police work. Because here you are. You're going to go to the detective squad. And right now, it's a mess. Exodus. It's so short on personnel. I'm a firm believer. If it keeps going this short, that most of the guys that are in the detective squad right now, they're going to have to push a set the car for overtime to help out anyway. So now you're going to be put into a, a position where you may have to work on overtime to push a sector car, and you don't know you don't have that. So you're missing layers of foundation that you need. All right, and in order for a house to have proper structure, it has, we have to have a foundation. Then, along with the foundation, we start to build up on it. So if you don't have that foundation, it's going to crumble. So that's going honestly. He's doing a disservice to you. You need to step up and tell your father this is not the time. Let me do. Fundamentals of police work, and when my time is it comes, I will be ready. Along with that, also, I always talk about this. I don't care if the kid had five thousand dollars. The amount of time is not enough. You need a substantial amount of time to pass in order for the information to go through your neurological pathways to where it becomes natural. Because right now you're in the phase of unconscious incompetence, so you don't know what you're thinking about, and you don't know how to apply it either. And as time goes on, yes, you you start to get unconsciously competent and then as time progresses eventually you get to the point where talking about experienced anti-crime police officer where you're consciously right uh, consciously and unconsciously competent where you do things and you make observations and you just don't know why because you've done it so many times you have not made that point so absolutely there are men and women out there one hundred thousand more qualified all right i'm not knocking richard shay he may have potential you may have the tools. And I can tell you this. I spent six years in the United States Marine Corps. I was a veteran from Operation Iraqi Freedom. I was the honor graduate at Officer Candidate School. And with that background, I did not feel that if I was in that position, I had that opportunity, I was not ready. No way was I even near ready. And, and I, I had a substantial resume. But yet, I wasn't ready. This was a new aspect in my life. It's a new beginning. And you, there's different skills that you have to learn as a police officer to get the type of squad. Here, the men and women that serve with me, every time they make a firearm arrest, a legal firearm, firearm arrest, they have to take their perpetrator, a person of interest, to the detective squad for what's called an enhancement. So the detective, so Richard Shea is going to be put in this position, is going to enhance that case. He's going to put the person of interest to an interview process. It's going to be recorded. He's going to analyze the evidence. You're... When you're a detective in that position, you are almost looked upon as a mentor to the other police officers. So here, I'm going to have men and women that have done eight to 10 years, maybe 
12 years in special operations, making numerous gun arrests. And they're going to go to this young man who's going to mentor them. Uh, and this is a joke. This is level. So absolutely, there are so many more. I, I'm on the phone. I'm on the phone with cops constantly. I, I, I have a, a couple of cops I know very well who are fantastic cops out there doing neighborhood safety. They're doing public safety, which means they're going out there working as anti-crime, the quasi-anti-crime in uniform, seeking out violent perpetrators with legal firearms as we did in anti-crime. And these young men are passed over. They can't even get units. They can't even get training. And here this young man is put to the tennis court. This is absolutely egregious. There are so many men and women that are much more qualified. And to use the word that he was vetted is laughable. He's vetted? Yeah, I'm sure. Here's how he was vetted. You ready? Oh, Commissioner Shea's son. <laughs> okay, put him in. I mean, I'm pretty confident. And, John, you can probably allude to this also. The reason why Commissioner Shea's son is putting his his son in a detective squad immediately, because Commissioner Shea, he was a police officer. I remember he was a cop's cop. I, I, I don't understand what happened to him now. But he was a cop's cop at the time, I remember. So he knows what it takes to be an effective detective. He also was part of the company key teaching the patrol guide. He understands it takes five years to actually have enough information in your brain to actually seek out the potential leadership to be a sergeant. And when you're a detective, it's not, it's not a, a, a rank. It is parallel to, to a police officer, but it's an investigative track. So you have to be sort of a mentor. You have to be a leader. He's not ready. And the reason why he's putting him in the detective squad now is because if he's out the street and he's going to work neighborhood safety or being an active police officer, his record is going to get peppered up, as you always say, John, peppered up from CCRB. He's going to self-report TRIs, and his record is going to be tarnished on the 50A. And Commissioner Shea's son knows his son will not meet the parameters to get these units. That's exactly what's going on. I mean, that's exactly what it is. And and like you say, Commissioner Shea was a cop's cop. Um, and I had very high hopes for him as the commissioner. I really did. He spoke at my BMOC, and he talked on the Abdul Wima incident. And, you know, it was something that I carried with me my whole supervisory career. Um, he gave the example about the desk officer who was the desk officer that day. Uh, he starts out in the field that Justin Volpe gets into a fight uh, with his perpetrator. Uh, the patrol supervisor on that day, and I'm not going to say their names because I won't remember it right. The patrol supervisor in the, in, on that day um, separates them after the call is made. The arrest is made. I believe it was a resisting discount arrest. Something happened out in the street, but there was a little scuffle. The patrol supervisor has a different sector car transport Justin's perp back to the station house. That, that was common practice. I would, I would do it too. I followed through with that. I would, that was taught to me by the older guys and I'm short, short by you. We don't want anybody. If you just fought with someone, we don't want you driving with them for the situation to escalate. So patrol supervisor separates different sector car does it. Uh, sector car brings the, the perpetrator up in front of the desk, brings Mr. Louis up in front of the desk for a routine search to make sure he has nothing and to lodge him. And by lodging, you take his name, his pedigree information before you place him into the cells. How much money does he have on him? All pedigree information. What what needs to be processed? What is he being arrested for, et cetera? And here comes Justin Volpe um, barreling into the precinct. And he grabs Amalouima and he says, I got this one. I'll toss him. And he takes him off into the bathroom. And Commissioner Shea, who was Chief Shea at the time, said that if the desk officer, and I agree with him, if the desk officer would have just been a sergeant, would have never happened. He said, Justin Volpe 
was a little crazy at that time. But if the desk officer at that time, the desk officer at that time would have said, Justin, bring him back here right now. Justin would have brought him back. That whole incident would have never happened. It wouldn't have been a stain on the police department. He goes on to further state that a week prior to that incident, same sergeant on the desk, he tells Justin Volpe something while he's processing a collar, and Justin Volpe picks up a big metal typewriter and wings it at the sergeant's head. Sergeant doesn't do anything. Justin doesn't get suspended. Justin doesn't get a CD. And he goes on to say, you ask anybody about that desk sergeant, and they'll tell you he's a great guy. But he's not a supervisor. He's not a good sergeant. And that story I always played in my head on every incident. And it made me a better sergeant. And I said a lot of the hard things. And that's why I'm doing this now is I'm able to speak on things that are hard. I would be able to tell anybody anything. I've had conversations uh, both as, as, as a peer, as a regular cop, as a supervisor to people who completely disagreed with me, and I was able to do it because of of statements like that from older people. That that I carried with me as a supervisor. But yes, Commissioner, if you're listening, you know, the defund the police movement, when you said I 1,000% support it, it broke my heart. It really did because I, I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that you believe that. I don't believe that you believe that that was that was a good thing for the men and women in New York City. Also, with the vaccine mandate, the way that you push the propaganda, the way that the nepotism that you brought in, even in that, because let's let's really get down to it. Let's let's get down to how much nepotism there is in the NYPD. A lot of the flack that I caught about posting it, a lot of the flack were from the South Bronx from police officers and detectives from the South Bronx telling me how many of them there are unvaccinated with approved religious exemptions. Is the South Bronx more religious than, than the North Bronx? Is it more religious than cops in Staten Island, in the city, in Brooklyn, in Queens? So again, again, this was never about safety. It was about who you know and, uh, you know, and again, I you know, if I was you, I would 100% hook my son up too. But I would, I would, I, like I said, I would make it look good. I would let him learn. I would let him cut his teeth a little bit. And 100%, I don't, I, it, it is what it is. You are the commissioner. You earned that title. Um, I don't expect you not to hook your son, your nephew, the guys you worked with up that you like. I would do the same thing. But this is egregious. And that's why I called it out. That's it. I, I agree. I agree with two points. Yes. It's totally egregious. And yes, you should take care of your family. But where does the buck stop? I mean, now you've set the tone where every chief that comes on the job that has a son who's a young 21, 22-year-old male right now with 18 months on the job, if he has any life to him or any sense of potential, he should go to the technical squad with less than, less than two years on the job. We've just set the tone. So you know what? I'm asking... Commissioner Shea, you need to come on this podcast. I would, I want an opportunity to understand what, why you think this is appropriate. I mean, you spent a latter part of your life on this job. You were a public servant. Like I said, I had high hopes for you. You were a cop's cop. And I was hoping that after your manifesto of the discipline matrix, 
that you would come out and speak up afterwards and talk about the pitfalls of the job and how you were backed into a corner, into a position, and actually have an opportunity to speak out. I'm saying this, and I really believe this. I learned this in the Marine Corps. It's better die for something than live for nothing. So it's time you need to stand up and write what's wrong. This is so egregious to put your son in the detective squad with less than two years on the job so that you can protect him so his record doesn't get peppered up. And to show and say that he's a more qualified candidate than the other candidates out there is absolutely ridiculous because I can show you men and women that have served under my command as a special operations lieutenant, also as an anti-crime sergeant. I can, sh- I can bring up their names right now, if you like, and show you why they should be in the detective squad before this young man, and they have not had the opportunity because you are not their daddy. That's why. Let's be honest. But their records, they're out there right now. They're doing neighborhood safety. They're doing public safety. They're a former anti-crime. Their records are peppered up. So they have a stain on their record. But your son's 50A is going to be immaculate. It's going to be clean because you know you know how what it, what it takes to keep your son's record clean for the 50A so that if – who knows? Honestly – Maybe in 10 years from now, your son will decide to go to the FBI or, or, or another agency. Maybe you've made connections along the way where he can use that opportunity to go somewhere else. But if his 50A is peppered up and stained, he's not going to be attractive anywhere else. And, and that's this is egregious. This is by far absolutely ridiculous. And that's why I think we need to discuss there is a manifesto or some type of questionnaire within the police department that outlines the criteria needed and required for those to apply for the position of detective, to go to detective squad. So the police officers within within the NYPD know how it works. But for the public out there, if you're watching, my non-police officers, men and women, when they apply for the detective squad, they, they are now put on what's called the detective track. What that means is they serve 18 months as a police officer with the police officer badge in a investigative type unit and they're monitored for 18 months. And if they succeed after those 18 months and they don't have any blemishes, they don't get any trouble, they're doing what's, what's, uh, what's expected of them, they will be awarded with the rank of detective after 18 months. So now, here, young Richard Shea, by the time his, his investigative track is completed, he'll have three years on the job. It, ha- it takes five years on the job. I'm sorry, with the new contract, thank you, Pat Litch, for selling them out. Five and a half years on the job to get the top pay. So he's going to have three years on the job, and he's going to make $12,000 or more a year than a top-paid police officer who's been out there pushing the second car or a neighborhood safety team guy who's trying to get a record to show that he makes felony gun arrests so that he or she can go to the detention squad. But they won't be able to because their records are going to be peppered up. They'll have charges for the civilian complaint review board. And they'll be put on what's called level two monitoring. So if the public doesn't know, there's, there's level one, level two, and level three monitoring. And these levels hold you back from being transferred, promoted. But if you're put on level two monitoring, that's for an 18-month period because you've had charges substantiated from the Civilian Complaint Review Board. And what does that do? That also causes you to have aggravating factors on the discipline matrix. So these guys, if you're out there and you're doing a, a anti-crime type police work, you're doing aggressive, intrusive, I like to call intrusive, intrusive police work, which means that you're out there and you're encountering people, having conversations, you're having stops that lead to arrest. Your record is going to be stained. You will not get these illustrious units. But Richard Shea, his, his record is going to be compl- uh, completely clean. This is completely unfair. 
And now we see a correlation with the vaccines because it was those that are unvaccinated that have received religious accommodations that were given John Flack for his comments. Because obviously, maybe you have some connection. Somehow, former Commissioner uh, Shea has hooked you up. You've had network, you've had connections in the past. So I hope that Richard Shea, is, uh, unfortunately, is not going to your squad. I, I can't see how you men and women could speak out and actually give John Flack for calling out the truth. So apparently you don't want the truth. It's really unfortunate because I've heard men and women throughout my tenure in the police department. I still hear it now. I get texts. I told these guys on a constant basis. And we hear about the complaints within the department. But when it comes time to have an opportunity to actually call them out, now you're going to defend them. This is absolutely ridiculous. Everything with this is completely wrong. You set the tone going forward that now, and I encourage Anyone out there right now, if you think you have the potential, I encourage you, if you have 18 months or less, put your application in. I want to see how you get vetted. Apparently, he was a qualified candidate due to the shortage. That's what it said in the paper. So if you have 18 months or less, and I'm going to encourage my fellow veterans who are out there serving in leadership roles within the military, please apply. Do an application. I want to see if you get vetted too. I'm going to go one further than that. Type up your, your CO's rec first. Type up for the public that doesn't know. So before you want to get transferred to any type of unit, you have to get a commanding officer's recommendation. I always was very critical of this process because if you're a good cop, your CO is going to give you every which way to Sunday that he doesn't want to sign it and why you should stay working with him. And when he moves on, he'll take you with him and all this other stuff because when that's what happens when you're a good cop. When you're a bad cop, they sign your eval and they say, get this guy away from me. They sign the CEO's recommendation and get this guy away from me. <laughs> however, <coughs> however, however, I'd like to see somebody that came out. And I, I think that whole, that whole time, that everyone that came out at the same time as the commissioner's son should come out. And, and go to that commanding officer with a, with a CO's rack and see what he tells you. You need more time on the job, kid. You're not mature enough, kid. Uh, you need more arrest, kid. But, but, but I know it's dirty calls. Yeah, but you're, 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 not, you're not there yet. You know, you're going to get there. I like you. Blah, 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 blah. But, you know, I'm hearing from guys, and I heard multiple times, and I've said this before, you know, nobody's really out there right now for the men and women like, me and Eric all, you know, and I've been out there for months and I've been getting calls left and right from people on how to vest and not just based on the vaccine either. I get calls from a lot of community safety officers or whatever they're called now, but anti-crime guys, guys that younger guys that were like me and Eric, and they asked me how to vest. And some <laughs> of them are vaccinated. Some of them have religious exemptions and they want to leave the job. So the vaccine mandate isn't even an issue for them. Not only do they want to leave the job, they want to go to departments that, that pay less. They want to go to departments with not as good retirement benefits. And, and you know what they told me? I have 350 arrests. I have 450 arrests. They keep telling me I'm not ready. Just a little bit more time. And then the command, the command, and I've heard this several times, several times, and honestly, I'll tell you right now, I'm sick of hearing it. I think that you guys should all file OEOs if anyone says it. And it's not because that's not being a rat. Because at some point, you're selling your children out. You're selling yourself out. You're selling everybody out. But this is what the statement that's being made to white officers 
who are out there, active officers with hundreds of arrests that have been trying to get in detective squads for years that are more than deserving to get that spot. More than deserving, if not to go to an even better detail. You're not ready yet, kid. But now the commands all get a certain amount of specialist shields. And what that is, detective specialist, what that is, is, hey, listen, we're not, you're not going to go to the investigative assignment, but we'll keep you in your assignment. And because you're doing such great work, because you're such an asset to this precinct, I'm going to give you this shield and you're going to get the bump and pay. And you know what they're being told? You're not the flavor of this job. <laughs> you're not the flavor of this job. <laughs> and listen, I loved everybody I ever worked for. I, and, you know, but issues aside or not issues, you're always going to – everybody could critique the way I supervise and I could critique the way I, everyone supervised. But I will say the, the majority, 99% of the people I worked with were great people. They loved people. They, they cared about people. They cared about their community and they cared about their cops. But right here, we're doing ourselves a huge disservice. This is racism. This is discrimination and it's got to stop. And, and, you know, and, and I'm not even to go and I'll even go further. It's not even just the white guys because that, that, that holds true with black guys. There was a, there was a Dominican kid that I could think of when I was in internal affairs. He came to internal affairs. He had 450 arrests. He was a street kid. He had 12, 13 years on the job, 450 arrests. Spoke to him one day. I was like, why? How come you didn't go to, you know, gang narco? He said, I put in for the squad so many times, I didn't know what else to do but to get a shield, so I went to IAB. He goes, I don't want to be here. I like I like being outside, but there was nothing else I could do. I waited years and years and years, and I just keep getting skipped over. So I wanted it. I had. I, I got no choice. I'm, I, I need to set up my family for retirement. I'm, I'm planning on leaving in 20. And I was like, and if that, you know, if that doesn't show you, we're losing – we're losing. We're, we're actually killing the incentive. You know, we, do, we talk about socialism and, and killing the incentive, right? That's what's going on. Why should anyone go out there and be an Eric Din? And, and that's what I've been saying. Why should I go get peppered up, get these CCRBs, deal with this stress, work nights, or work weekends, work holidays? Why should I do all of this, stress my wife out, take time away from my children? Why should I do this? I'm working hard for the community, yes. But I get no benefit, and I watch people just blow past me and have uh, illustrious careers. And believe me, I, I can guarantee half of those men and women don't need the big, you know, don't need the big medals and the pats on the back. Just, get, just give them a fair pay. Make, make the structure a little fair for these people. You know what I mean? Give them a path to success that we care about them. Now, we're at the point that it's just – we don't care about you at all. And, you know, Mayor Adams, oh, it's a great job. You know, his little his little weasel guy, uh, who, uh, whatever, Chris Ball, it's a real nice, cushy job. It's, you know, it's, you it's, shot. it's really not. And, you know, I heard how they were going to replace us all with National Guard. Um, but I'll tell you right now, you're coming to find out real quick. Eric Dim's not replaceable. John McCarry's not replaceable. All these other guys that are walking out the door, they're not replaceable. You lose an invaluable experience. You lose an invaluable training. And it's due again, and I'm going to say it again. It's a failure in leadership all the way around. And to the captain and the, the, the CO of the 2-3 precinct, I know you were in a bad spot. I know you were in a bad spot. 
but I want you to remember that when the next guy comes to you for a CO's wreck. I want you to remember what you did. You tuck your tail between your legs, and I would love to see what was written on that CO's recommendation. I would love to see it. What did it say? This was Commissioner Shea's son? I would love to see that recommendation. I really would. And I would love to see what you tell other people. And that goes for all your CEOs out there. Every single one of you. I know you guys are in a bad spot. I do. But it, it, it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it right. You know, John, you just pointed out great stuff. Great points. It's 100% true. Right now, I encourage every public safety team officer, every neighborhood safety team officer, right? If the public knows, so for the for the, there's a select few commands amongst the city that were considered as the most shooting prone locations. So those commands are having those quasi type uniforms. I think there's about 25 commands within the entire city that were selected. So they're wearing those quasi type uniforms and supposedly the uh, anti-crime button uniform. Then you have what's called the public safety team guys. Those are guys who are just wearing regular uniforms. And those in, in the rest of the precincts among the city. So the public safety team guys and the neighborhood safety team guys, they're all doing the same job. It's just a big show in a funky uniform. But I'm telling you right now, please, for my men and women that served under me out there, for the men and women that did not serve with me, I have your back. That's why we're doing this. You can give us flack. I know we've got some flack for calling this stuff out and say, oh, well, you guys aren't on the job anymore. You're right. You're 100% right. I'm retired. John is retired, and we have new paths in life. All right, we but we have an opportunity to speak out now and be the voice that you need. And so, please listen to my direction. If you are a neighborhood safety team guy and you are a public safety team guy, you immediately today you need to go fill out that CO's rec and get that application done. I don't care if it says on post for the public knows post. That's a portal within the police department on the NYPD internet, which is an access server, so that police officers can. Seek out which vacancies are available within the police department. And if they're open, they can do an application. I'm pretty confident that it didn't matter with this particular case here. So for all my public safety team guys and neighborhood safety team guys, you fill out that application and you bring that CO's rec to your commanding officer. And if that is not, if you have more than three years on the job and you have numerous gun arrests and you have a, you have a good eval, you need, to, you need to challenge your commanding officer if he does not sign it. You need to ask them why. And I'm pretty confident you're going to hear things just as John said. You're not ready. You don't have enough time. Well, Richard Shea didn't have enough time either. Maybe you're not the flavor of the job. Or maybe your CCRB record is too uh, peppered up. But your CCRB record is pep peppered up because you've been doing this type of police work. So it's about time you neighborhood safety team guys, you public safety team guys that are out there, you're putting your necks out there. You're putting your lives on the line. Every time, I used to say this to my guys, and I really mean this, John, and I, you probably could, will, will agree with this. Every time you approach a person of interest on the street and you retrieve a firearm, that could have been the last day of your life. Every encounter is potentially the last day of your life, even if the person of interest does not have a firearm. You are bringing a firearm. You are encountering someone on the street, whether it's vehicle or pedestrian. You're stopping their tracks. It can go anywhere. That could be the last day of your life. So now you have to ask yourself, I've been doing this for five years, 10 years, four years, on a team seeking out violent perpetrators every day, 
following these particular rules with the body camera, having to have an oversight from risk management, the federal oversight, internal affairs, inspections, and you're not good enough, you, I demand you to fill out that CO's rec and get it filled out immediately. And you should write down exactly what you were told, why you are not eligible. And then you need to compare it to, to Commissioner Shason because apparently he was vetted and he was more qualified. And you should find that as a complete insult. But unfortunately, and I hope you're not insulted, but this is the truth. Our men and women, no matter how much we beat them up, it's like the Stockholm Syndrome. They go out there. I mean, you can dunk water on their heads. You can take their pay. You can kill morale. You can have all the nepotism. And they're still going to go out there and do this job. But you know what? When are our men and women going to start thinking about themselves? Your men and women are losing. You get beat up out there. You need to go to your CEO immediately. And yes, your CEO is going to be uncomfortable because he or she has been put in a bad position. So now what? The commanding officers that are out there, you are in a position that if you don't sign that commanding officer's wreck, you're in a position and you're liable potentially to get sued. Because how do you explain that someone else was qualified and more qualified than your candidates who have been out there seeking illegal firearms on a daily basis? Men and women have 12, 20 actual illegal firearm arrests under their belt. So they've testified at court. They've had to have credibility. They've had to have the skills to have the trained eye to get these firearms, work on a team, putting their lives on the line, especially working under this climate. And here's a young man that has less than 18 months and hasn't been exposed to that. It's absolutely ridiculous. This is unfair. But it's up to our men and women to actually run this, to right this wrong. This is absolutely ridiculous what's going on here. If you just take it, you know, I, I, John, we hear a lot. Well, it is what it is. If that is the mindset you are going to have, then that's exactly how it's going to remain. Okay. If Rosa Parks did not stand, did not stand up for herself. Okay. Then minorities would still be sitting on the back of the bus. Someone has to stand up. They stood up for something that they believed in. Okay. She stood up for something. Okay. That was courageous. That's what we need. We need courage. We need courage. You have to stand up for yourself. This is not right. What's going on here. People have to speak out. You have to stand up. If you just say it is what it is, it's going to continue. And you're allowing these, these wrongs to continue. And then you're feeling bad about it. It's being pushed about on you and you're not speaking out. Now, I don't expect you to actually speak out with your voice, but you have to speak out with actions. John and I can be your voice. Contact us. We're here to speak for you. And you can also speak out with your actions. Fill out an application. Fill out a CEO's uh, rec, a recommendation and see if your commanding officer actually fills it out. Every one of you should. And if you're in a patrol car, your uniform police officer, and you're out there and you do a great job or you're doing domestic violence work, you should fill it out too, okay? Because it's all different facets of this job. And you should see if you're qualified. I want to see if you get vetted too. I couldn't agree with you more. I really couldn't. You know, speak out with your actions. And there's nothing wrong with you being confident in your abilities and your past victories in life. I mean, that's how we get ahead in this world. We, you know, you have to be able to know who you are. Um, and I feel that at the time in your career, when you're able to sit at a table with anybody and explain who you are, what your career was, what you've done, and what your goals are, you're ready. Um, you're 100% ready at that point. And uh, it's, you know, like, like Eric said, and it really, it, really, it really resonates with me. You're out there every day. You're putting your life on the line. Whatever facet you're out in the street doing, 
I don't care even if you're an inside guy and you're out of detail. I don't care if you're on patrol and you're responding to a, a block driveway. I, you know, anything. Every incident is potentially the thousands of incidents that you will encounter over your career. You will encounter in New York City streets more incidents than most police departments as a whole across this country. You will make more decisions than that whole entire police department across this country. You will be placed in these situations over and over again at a volume. That is unlike anything we've ever seen in this world. And we still will never know the effects that it has on you. But I really, I really, another point of note, I just want you to guys to reflect on is you're out there, you're making arrests, whether it be a legal firearm, whether it be domestic violence, whether it be a drunk driver, whatever that rest is, whether it's stemmed off a 911 call or not, these guys are being let, and guys and girls are being let walk out the back door. The DA's throwing the case out. The only one, the only one currently in New York City that has anything to lose is you. You're the only one. That's it. Nobody else. Nobody else. They're not held accountable for their actions whatsoever. But you will be scrutinized seven ways to Sunday. You will be, like Eric said, you will go down to inspections. You will go down to IAB. You will go down to CCRB. You will have the federal monitor overseeing you. You will get scrutinized by your sergeant, by your lieutenant, by your captain, by everyone in the borough. Everyone in all ranks going up the chain is going to criticize you. That is the job. But really ask yourself. Really ask yourself, and I don't, and I don't want to – listen, I love New York City. My, my whole family is there. I don't want anyone to take a step back. I used to fight with the Long Island and the upstate guys all the time when they said, I don't give a shit what happens in the city. I would lose my mind. I would be like, oh, I live here. My kids go to go work, and the, they go to the park. I would lose my mind when someone said that. You, what, you better take pride in the city. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying the encounters that you don't need to be in at this point until something's done. To that in 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 to change to make your situation better, and it's not just them dangling a contract of pay while they're looking to sell out your future self with your health care and actually even your current self with your health care. Screw the pay. You didn't take this job to get rich, right? Like the guy told me when I was in the academy. Oh, you might not have the uh, the in ground pool, but you'll have the above ground pool. Why well, <laughs> prove I proved that wrong? So I'm just going to let you know that's not true. It's the things you do. It's the things you do. You could you could have a very successful life off of, based off of this job and the money you make. You have to do the right things and you have to be smart with your money, right? This is this is a career. You didn't take this job for the money. You took it you took it cuz you wanted to help people. But you need to be able to help people and in order to be able to help people, you need to be able to help yourself and you need to be able to take care of your family. And the way that the system is set up now, it's it's really set up against you. It's set up to pepper you up, to give you CCRBs. Your record is going to look like Eric Dim. You think if Eric Dim goes to get a federal job? Oh, it says he shoved his finger up somebody's ass and he was guilty of it. Meanwhile, <laughs> we debunked that here on the show. When you hear the when you hear the real stories, you're amazed by them. You're like, are you, are you kidding me? This is actually going on. This is actually what's happening to police officers. And, you know, I, again, it at what point, like Eric said, at what point it doesn't matter. You know, that article came out about morale, nepotism, overtime, whatever else. And everybody on the job, retired guys, everybody was ever on the job. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, crazy. Yeah, I never heard an article like this. Blah, 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 blah. All this crap, right? And then the minute this gets pointed out and I point it out, 
Well, that's the way it is. And, you know, and, 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 I, and I just reflect back to, to that thing. And they're like, yeah, nobody cares. Nothing's going to change. You know who you're talking about? Yourself. You don't care. You're the nobody that doesn't care. If you don't care, why should anybody else? You're the most demonized profession that's ever walked the face of this earth. You are been more demonized than the tax collector that was walking around with Jesus. The tax collectors back in the day and that time were the most reviled people in all of society. You are more reviled than them. People hate you. And it's because there's a lack of leadership. Nobody will sit there and take the flack and have real conversation and real talk with people. And you need to... You guys need to start standing up for yourself. You need to you need to make your union delegates, your union trustees, your union president. You need to make them work. They're in that position. They're making two salaries. They need to work for that. It's time. It's it's time. It this isn't no more about easy times. We're in a very hard time right now, and and it even goes past that too. With uh, you know, don't let these these politicians butter up with you. You know, that you're asked to take a picture with some lefty who wants to abolish you. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm not taking a photo with it. And I've done it. So I've done it. I won't shake hands. I've done it. You know, I'm not I'm not I'm not saying things that I haven't done. I will not be pictured. You know, I see on Twitter and all everybody running around shaking hands with Eric Adams, but you're all on a fake handle calling him a jerk off on the other end. I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. I'll be I'll I'll I'm always respectful, but I'm not a phony. I'm always respectful, but I'm not a phony. Do you have the manifesto that actually outlines and draws out the criteria needed to apply for detective? Because for the public out there, you need to listen to this. And for my men and women that are currently in the New York City Police Department, if you have aspirations to become a detective, and even if that's not something on your radar right now, you need to listen to this anyway. And for the men and women out there, if you're doing active police work, I encourage you, even if it's not on your radar, you said, you know what? I'm not interested in the detective track. I actually want to become a supervisor on this job. And that's that's the route that I want to take. You should still apply. You should still see if you get vetted. You should see how you're treated. You should see if the CO's rec that you fill out will get a recommendation or a highly recommendation. And you should take that opportunity. Take your evals to the commanding officer. That's why I'm saying here is a time. It's time to take action. Please, my men and women in the New York City Police Department, stop saying it is what it is. One thing I learned in the Marine Corps and numerous leadership books that I continue to read, and what they always talk about is there's an art to leading people by managing subordinates, by managing the people below you. But you know what I also learned on the other end is there is an art to manage the people above you. And how you can manage the people above you is by holding them accountable. So for my men and women, Hold them accountable by filling out applications. Fill out an application for the detective squad. Fill out that commanding officer's rec. Right? There's a paragraph on the bottom of the commanding, commanding officer's rec to fill out why you should be recommended. Fill it out. Articulate. Explain why you are a qualified candidate. And then bring that to your commanding officer. And I challenge you, please, hit up John and I, whether it's through Facebook if it's through Instagram, Twitter, you want to send us an email, you want to text us, if you want to send us some information, let us know if your commanding officer's rec was signed or if it wasn't. You tell us why you were not sought out as a candidate. And we will call it out here. That's exactly what we're going to do. All right? I'm not on this job anymore. I'm retired. So, I yes, people could say, you're not on this job. It's not. 
listen, we're not here looking for clout. We're here to help you and tell the truth. So give us an opportunity to tell the truth and right these wrongs. Tell us your experiences. I'm telling you right now, take action. Do not say it is what it is. Because one day, I, always, I used to tell this to my men and women, and anybody's listening and say, oh, I heard that so many times at roll call and different briefings and trainings. Go out there and do everything you do. When it's all said and done, we're not here for the money. When it's all said and done, in 30 years from now or 40 years from now, you're an old man and you have grandkids, you're sitting down and you're sitting around a campfire and you're telling stories, that's all you're going to have left. It's just stories. No one's going to care how much money you have. No one's going to care about that. Your grandkids are going to ask you stories. What did you do during your career? So if you, you're now you're going to look back at your life and said, wow, I took my tail between my legs. Well, here's an opportunity for you to stand up for yourselves, band together, fill out that, those applications, get those CEOs recs out there, get them out there today. That's how you stand up for yourself. Yes, you can't go out there and speak out on social media against your job. You have policy to follow. And I totally respect that. You have to get to the point where you retire just like John and I did, all right? But now you have an opportunity to speak out with action. Present your evaluations. Get those recs signed and tell me why you're not a qualified uh, candidate compared to the other candidates, particularly this egregious nepotism that we just identified and we pointed out. So we do have a manifesto here. You, you have it with you? I'd like to point out some of the criteria that's required Sure. So to I'm become a go. detective. Sure. So this is Detective Bureau, Frequently Asked Questions. This is a, a document you would get if you were looking to submit an application. Um, first few are general questions. I won't go into them. I just want to highlight four here. How much service time with the department must I have before I can apply to the Detective Bureau? Candidates should have at least four years of service with the department. So that's after your two years of probation. And another two years, you should have at least four years. Now, you know, let's not let's not pretend like this hasn't happened. You know, we've been seeing this recently with other chiefs kids, too. I don't believe they had as as little time. I believe they did get off probation first and now they have detective shields, too. Um, so there was always that nepotism. And again, this just happens to be the most egregious form of it, but yeah, four years. So right then and there, you know, should. So, but I'll tell you right now, point of note was always, you better be off probation at least, right? Should you better be off probation at least, you know, and do I need a commanding officer's recommendation to be interviewed? Yes. Candidates must have their commanding officer's recommendation to be interviewed for a position within the detective bureau. And I'll tell you right now, and I'll and, and I'll ask any anybody who was ever a CO throughout all of time, throughout all of time in the police department, would you sign a, C, a CO's recommendation with a highly rated for somebody who's not off probation to go to the detective track? <laughs> mere silence <laughs> i mean i mean like i mean I, like just just that alone like that you know there's a bunch of other stuff in here what are the tours how much uh, you need time and rank as a sergeant too or a lieutenant or or anything to 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 go to the detective bureau um and you know you have to and and that's after you've already been on this job a while you need at least six months in rank to interview, and you need at least one year on the job 
to be transferred in in title in that rank. Um, so even there as a supervisor, you know, and and I, I you know, I could say whatever. Even that I think is bullshit, and I I think the CEO's recommendations bullshit. I think it should be based off your evaluations. I don't I don't think I should need a, a commanding officer's approval. He's signing off and giving me a five Why do I need him to approve me if I want to apply for a position? Possibly put me out of my spot, possibly diminish my overtime, possibly feel I'm not a member of his team or her team because I'm looking to better myself and going to a unit because I want to do something else with my career other than be subservient, you know? Um, So I, you know, again, I, you know, I would never shy to ask for a CEO's rec, but I've heard uh, the, the stuff that we're talking about here. I never heard I wasn't the flavor, but I've been hearing that a lot from you guys. And th- and that's really unfortunate. It really is. And and I know a lot of these guys are good guys that are saying it and you, and you wouldn't want to hurt them, their career or their family in any way, but it's got to stop. It's got to stop. <laughs> I got, I, I got, I got to laugh out of it. I have plenty of friends out there that are currently commanding officers and I haven't asked them the question. I just didn't want to bother them. I know that they're busy right now. But I would love to ask them that question. John, that's the best question. Would you sign a commanding officer's wreck with someone that's not even off probation to go to the detective squad? Absolutely not. But so what do we think actually happened in this case? Was I can tell you exactly what happened in this case. You ready? So Commissioner Shea, I'm sure there was an actual application done. Just so if everyone does a, anyone ever does a foil check or some backlash, or there's two crazy lieutenants like ourselves that come out and speak out about this. I'd like to thank, by the way, I would like to thank the Daily News for putting these articles out. I mean, it just proves that everything we've been talking about is right. We're giving you the truth. So here we are. I'm sure the application was done. And I'm sure it was done in reverse order. I was talking about reverse engineering. So the application was done. And then, once everything was completely done, even after the so-called interview, I wonder what kind of interview that was. Maybe he walked into a room and they gave him a hug and he walked out. I don't know what happened, but I can tell you it wasn't an interview process that anybody else would go through. But I'm pretty confident that the last thing that was done to go in this packet for young Richard Shea to go to the Tetris squad was the commanding officer's wreck. I'm pretty confident the commanding officer's wreck on this particular one, he probably, he or she who had it done, probably never even read it just signed it or maybe someone signed it for him i'm pretty confident that was the last thing that was done in this particular application packet so again i'm telling the men and women take action fill out your applications today get that commanding officer's right it's sending that application and you should be calling constantly and saying why didn't i get an interview yet so and i can tell you this i'll never forget i had a young man working for me a fellow marine I never forget one of the sharpest police officers and cops that I have. He went for an interview with four and a half years on the job in Manhattan, South of Texas. Here he was. He was a South Bronx housing cop, former Marine, great cop, highly knowledgeable, very skillful, and impressed. They were impressed by his record because when I was the special operations lieutenant, I didn't let these police officers and cops under my command process arrests that were not felonies. Reason being because you're out here, you're doing a specific target, you're trying to violent perpetrators. That's who you should be getting, violent perpetrators. 
you're not out there with all that training and high esteem to arrest someone for pettit larceny. It's necessary, but someone else can do that. So the guys had great evaluations, articulate with the tongue, very humble, great cop. He was turned away. Not enough time. Not enough time. Need more time. And then he took on another role where it was an investigative track. And because of COVID, it took another three years to actually get the position of detective. This is absolutely ridiculous. And here this young man is getting into the detective squad. And with three years on the job, he's going to have a shield. Maybe he'll get it before the 18 months. I mean, why not? At this point, we've already exposed so much nepotism. Why are we trying to follow any rules anyway? So it's up to our men and women. Stop saying it is what it is. It's not it is what it is. It's what you make it. This is your destiny. Start to manage up. Hold your people accountable. Take those commanding officer recommendations to your commanding officer and hold them accountable. And I understand you may have a relationship with them and you may not want to put themselves in that position, but you have to. You have to think about the other men and women who come before you, who are working with you, and who's going to come with you afterwards. So you know what? Thank you for the NYPD for now leaving the pathway for more of our men and women with less than two years on the job to seek out roles in the detective squad. I, get, I thought we were shorthanded. We needed more people in the subways. But apparently we don't need presence in the subways. We need young men and women that are not ready to do police work yet to go to the detective squad. Well, unfortunately, I never had that route. And you know what? I wouldn't have won that route. I know you wouldn't want to need it, John. I wanted to make my own pathway. That is not making your own pathway. So young men, please understand, they, your family has put you in a very vulnerable situation. You're always going to have to ask yourself, do these men and women really respect me? Well, I, that's the question I would be asking. Yeah, and I'd, I'd just like to switch on to the, the, the diversity. I don't have too much time left. I got to run. Um, so I just want to switch on to the diversity a little bit, the diversity issue with the Detective Bureau as well, too. I mean, we're, we're seeing that, you know um, – we're seeing people that are unqualified basically because of the color of their skin or their gender actually getting detective specialist shields or going to the squad. I heard from numerous squad CEOs that they specifically asked for people. They knew the kids in the precinct, obviously, because you know who your public safety officers are. You know the guys that you rely on to get intelligence, that you share intelligence with to go out in the street. Hey, if you see this guy, could you lock him up for me? The detective squad supervisor, whether it be a lieutenant, a sergeant, and even the detectives know who the best cops in the precinct are. And they have a relationship with those people because they're looking from a higher level and they really are the boots on the ground. They have the time to narrow down on the violent perpetrators and whatever patterns, crime patterns that are happening in a particular precinct. And a crime pattern is a crime that continues to happen in a certain location at a time and believe they're all related, right? For the public. So, and, and they will rely on these men and women, but I'm hearing over and over again, over and it's not just it's not just right at this moment. I've been hearing this for a few years now that the people that they're saying, the detectives, the detective supervisors are saying this kid needs to come to the squad. We want this kid on our team, not because of nepotism, because of work, because of their work ethic, because of the work they put in and they will blend with the team. Um, they're not getting those spots. They're not getting the spots. It's always someone completely unqualified over a phone call or diversity. Um, and I, I, and again, I just think that 
diversity really has no place in competence. I don't believe that we should be evening out the numbers, and I don't believe you ever could. It's it's a lie. To say that we could diversify the department, what are we going to do? We're going to have what? How, how could we possibly do that? What's the hierarchy based on? Do, like, do we base it on skin color first, gender second? Who goes higher? You know, how does that that thing work? Does that what about sexual does sexual preference come into play? Does religion, does <laughs> socioeconomic background, does political ideology, like all of these things now do how do they come into play and how do we diversify a perfectly equitable? There's the word I'm looking for. Equity. How do we make a perfectly equitable police department? And does that and, and because we made it equitable? Did we make the best one? Because I'm going to sit here and say right now, we're trying to make these squads equitable, and we're turning them we're turning them into less efficient products. Same way we're doing it on on patrol. The same way we're doing it on our teams. The same way we're doing it in every other unit. The same way the whole country is going across their country and making their companies equitable. But are they the best? Are they the best? Because, again, I'm going to go back to that executive conference that I spoke on a few episodes ago. CEO of Coca-Cola, Indian woman, right, immigrated to this country. She became the CEO of Coca-Cola, and the NYPD has to throw in, well, how'd you do with equity? How'd you get your diversity and equity? What was your mission? And the lady said it best, and I'll never forget what she said. I hired the best people, and because I hired the best people – my, my company was diverse and my company was equitable. So you could shove all that. You could ch- – I, I actually that – whole, that whole organization, diversity, equity, inclusion, that it should be renamed the Office of Equal Opportunity because we're not here to, to – we shouldn't be here forcing equity. Force equity is nonsense. It's a lie. Forcing equity is nonsense. It's, the job needs to be equal. We both have the same opportunities. And right now, we're seeing that we don't have the same opportunities. And it's not equal. You know, and, and, and big shout out to Equal Opportunity Office, too, for not even acknowledging my complaint about the vaccine mandate and how you guys didn't even read my exemption and gave me a blanket statement and then came back with nonsense. Big shout out to you guys. And your integrity is really in question, too. And that'll come out. And Believe me, whether it comes out in 100 years or it doesn't, I know when you go to when you go to sleep, final analysis, you're an old man like Dim was talking about, you're going to highly regret what you guys did and stayed silent about. You're going to highly regret that. And everybody's going to know it. Everybody's going to know it. it was the nice, easy, safe thing. And for everyone saying that me and Dim are here chasing clout, we don't make any money for this. We don't make any money in this. I destroyed my whole name. I had a great name in the police department. I was 5.0 rated. I was about to get the money. I would have got the money from an administrative position, right? With a take-home car. Uh, I can no longer work in New York City currently, thanks to Eric, uh, the wonderful Adams, who, again, I I believe that he's probably unvaccinated too because we heard him talk about his whole anti-farmer when he spoke about on his diabetes. So I don't even – I think he's full of shit too. And everyone that's around him and all chiefs that got religious and medical exemption too, you're a bunch of cowards. I hope you put your head on the pillow every night. So that's it. That would, that's my, that's my, my conclusion on diversity, equity, inclusion. And when you feel that you're being discriminated against, you should really – step up to the game now because it, it, it's very obvious who is being affected disproportionately in the police department and it's male whites 
whether you're looking for discretionary promotion in the rank of police officer to detective, grade in the rank of detective, second or first, and then again in the executive rank. Any of you guys that haven't read the book, read a book by, by Heather McDonald. It's called The War on Cops. She also wrote another book called The Diversity Delusion. In there, she states how male white commanding officers, and she was talking on data from 2012, before even de Blasio, she was speaking on data from 2012. It, at 2012 back, it takes six times longer for a male white to make deputy inspector from the rank of captain. Six times longer. Why? It should be based on your performance, not your gender, not your skin color, not who you sleep with. Absolutely. Absolutely. To, actually, to piggyback on what you're talking about, so the police department, John, if, if you remember, actually came out with a chart on the internet that on the first page when you go on to the NYP, the internet, it was called 360. Do you remember seeing that? Yep. Right, so the 360 chart actually outlines for the public, if you understand, the 360 chart is so that the cops can actually, you can look on this, any regular file, you can actually look on this particular uh, software program, you can see how many police officers there are on the job currently, how many sergeants, how many lieutenants, how many, how many are in each precinct, but then it goes on further and it will actually tell you in each precinct of what the ethnicity is of each of every cop in a particular command and what the percentage is. And also, and this is where I think the ultimate goal is, it actually shows the population of New York City by you know, how many Caucasian percentage, how many black percentage, Hispanic. And you can see it's, it's almost, that's the target goal, it's correlated to how many how many percentage of black there are in the city to how many percentage of black there is within the department. Same thing, how many whites are in the city compared to how many whites within the department. So here, this chart is implemented so you can actually, that's the target goal, right? To meet the, so that the department looks as the same as the uh, population of New York City. If you ask me right now, it looks perfectly fine. So we keep trying to continue to use this word diversify because it's a sexy word we keep going into that it's already diversified and i always say this it should by be diversified in education it should be diversified in knowledge it should be diversified in the best candidates and as you said organically when you choose and pick the most qualified candidates organically it will be diversified we will get black and brown police officers, black and brown police officers getting promoted to sergeant, lieutenant, and making it through the ranks. We will get Caucasian officers making it through the ranks. We will get minority police officers and cops going to the tactical squad, and we will get white ones. The qualified candidates that are chosen will organically become diversified. We do not have to, you know, I, I saw this throughout my career. It's unfortunate. I did see, and I went to Comstat for many years, as a special operations lieutenant, escorting my commanding officers. And I witnessed, you know, and, and, and I'm not racist at all, but I'm telling you, this is honestly, I witnessed the white commanding officers. It would take them years to get promoted and they would get challenged very difficult questions at comps that where I saw some of, of the minority CEOs, some of the minority CEOs were fantastic, but some of them that I thought were inadequate would get ground ball questions. It was not in the same level playing field. There are highly qualified candidates that are Hispanic, that are black. I mean, we saw some very qualified Hispanic uh, 
commanding officers articulate, explain the deployment of their of, of their force. And we saw it from the white ones. But I did see that there was a disparity. And sometimes we had some that I would say would go on the fast track and they, they couldn't articulate. And they really didn't know their commands as well. And they were still getting promoted, you know, and they weren't getting that amount of time to grow organically. And they were just getting promoted because it fits diversity, right? It eventually became that, well, we have the first female Hispanic leading community affairs. We have the first Hispanic male leading the department. It should, about, it should be about the most qualified. Who cares what they are? I don't care. As long as they serve us well. That's what I want. I wanted good leadership. I didn't care if it was a woman. I didn't care if it was a man. I didn't care if they were black, Hispanic. I didn't care who they loved. What I cared is that they loved their people by taking care of us at the time. And now here I'm retired. I'm telling you, you should want people that are qualified to take care of you. It doesn't matter what they look like. It's how they can perform. And organically, it will become diversified. So for this particular CEO of Coca-Cola, very intelligent, and the police department needs to adopt that kind of mindset. I agree. <laughs> I agree, my friend. Um, I don't know, man. It's it, there's just so much wrong going on in this city that and and everything, everything. It's just, there's just so much stuff going wrong that I I I could speak on this topic. The days and weeks, and I do want to do, I want to do a, a episode on uh, implicit bias training, on the bullshit that I experienced at my implicit bias training, as well as the diversity, equity, inclusion training. But I do believe it plays big into what we're talking about here too, with men and women having a clear path to success and leadership, and we're not playing from an even playing field, and that's what we're talking about. Um, I think I think we we kind of nailed it down on this episode, you know, and I think that's, you know, I think I think this is good. What do you what do you think, Tim? You you got anything else to add? Oh, I mean, I could go on for days with this, but I think it's enough. I think we got the clear message out there. Again, I'm going to say it again because I know how these cops are. All right? It's not it is what it is. It's how you handle it. This is your life. These are your people. Stand up. Phil, I, I'm serious when I tell you that. I'm serious. Okay, that's my message to you. Fill out that commanding officer's recommendation. Fill out that application and get it signed today. And you should be asking questions. Of course, be respectful. All right? But you should be asking questions. If it's not signed, why? Why is it not being signed? Why am I not qualified? What criteria am I missing? And you should take notes. And for the other neighborhood safety team police officers out there in various commands, you should all take notes. And you should compare with each other. If you're in PSA 7, and yours doesn't get signed, you should be calling the guy in PSA 2. Why didn't yours get signed? And the guy in PSA 2, call the guy in Staten Island. Why didn't yours get signed? Start comparing notes. And why don't you get some data? Bring it to us. I understand you can't speak out about it. Bring it to us. We will get it out there for you, and we will expose the truth of exactly what's going on, the nepotism, and how it correlates to diversity. And, 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 and I agree with that. It definitely correlates to implicit bias the susan boyle effect i'm sure we'll get into that but for another day and uh, john I, I thank you for taking this path for me and I, and, and I mean that what i said before if you put out a tweet 
that tweet comes from me also. I got your back. We will not apologize. I'm not sorry for the stuff that we're saying. We are not racist at all, but we have to point out exactly what's going on. Right now, the white commanding officers are at a disadvantage to, to the minority counterparts. It's, it's unfortunate, and, and, and we know it. They're not getting promoted because we need to get the diversity in there. Let's just promote those that are qualified. If it's, if it's a white candidate, promote them. If it's a Hispanic or black uh, commanding officer that's qualified, they're promoted. I support it. But let's not look at the numbers to, to worry about how many Hispanics or how many minorities. Just put the best. Just put the best. That's what we need to serve our city and serve our city well. And I'm sure the community will appreciate it for it. No, I, I agree. I agree. And uh, just another point of note before I, I wrap up, I got a lot of people watch the Sal Greco episode. And by the way, we got a new YouTube channel out. Subscribe, New York's Finance, Retired and Unfiltered. Uh, subscribe on that YouTube channel. But a lot of people watch Sal Greco's